This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today on the show, you thought high school clicks were bad? Well, in Dune, these clicks are thousands of years old and will poison your supper to get ahead. Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. And my name's Leo. And Leo. Yeah. I know the world has been stressful right now. Yeah. Everywhere you look. Yes. Politics. Uh-huh. The news. Yeah. The world is on fire. Is this how we're starting? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this delightful <laughs> conversation about the apocalypse. <laughs> All right. Well, I was building up to a joke about how we're going to try and be lighthearted today, <laughs> except the entire show today is about politics. So I was going to say in a world <laughs> where so many people are quick to draw lines in the universe of Dune, lines have been drawn. Yeah. You know, people drew these lines of this is what your whole people is about this is what we're about no one knows what they're about but we're pretty sure they're evil you know this happened thousands of years ago but it's part of what makes the universe so fun you know you're meeting these characters who are representatives from planet blank or whatever and it's just fun it's fun to know that there's this whole backstory to each of these different kind of cliques or cultures or people Exactly, exactly. And politics plays a huge role in the Dune universe. And so we wanted to really give our listeners a a big picture, spoiler-free look at many of the factions that we'll encounter in the world of Dune, whether it's in Danny Villeneuve's upcoming blockbuster film, or if you're about to jump into the Dune novels for the first time, these are the many, many factions that you will encounter. Mm, Yeah. Today's episode is going to be a great opportunity for people who are new to the Dune universe. But I will say, Leo, as always, in preparation for (laughs) this episode in particular, I learned something new. Yeah. And you and I are huge Dune fans. So if you're someone who has read all of the novels and watched the 1984 film and, you know, you're on the Dune subreddit yelling at me (laughs) and Leo, that person is also going to get a lot out of today's episode. I think this episode in particular, we've struck that balance. So I'm excited to get into it. And look, we're going to do deep dives into probably every one of these factions. Yes. And... Many of those deep dives will have lots of spoilers and lots of deep discussion about kind of where we align with different factions, goals and means and methods. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, if you, if you, I was going to say simp super hard. Is that what? Oh, am I, am I a hype beast? Is that? Hold on. UrbanDictionary.com. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of Gen Z terminology that is outside my scope of understanding. Well, listen, I've never felt older. I'll pull it back. I did you just make? <laughs> did I make you feel old? Even though I'm like <laughs> six years older than you. <laughs> um, if you stand super hard for one of these factions, don't worry. Again, we will get super into it. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the factions, and. It makes sense, I think, to start with the biggest, most grand, most obvious ones, basically, which are the Great Houses and two very specific ones we've got in the left corner of the boxing ring, House Atreides, <laughs> uh, you know, sweet Timothy Chalamet is is fighting for House Atreides. Indeed. And in the right corner, we've got Uwe Goopy Harkonnens. Ooh. Ooey, goopy. <laughs> and in the upcoming movie, bald. <laughs> bald. All of them. <laughs> All bald. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or in the 1984 film, they were all gingers. They, every one of them was a ginger, which is just weird. Yeah. Neither are bad. They're great. Everyone's beautiful. Own it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about the great houses. In brief, the great houses of the Imperium. So the Imperium is the galactic empire. It's the governing body of the, uh, of the entire galaxy and the Dune universe. Within that body, the great houses are the lifeblood. They are the holders of power. They are the holders of planets. Mm, yeah. And these are the families that are constantly scheming and maneuvering for and against each other or for and against the emperor or for and against the spacing guild. Right, right. And like you said, House Atreides, House Harkonnen are the two primary houses that we'll probably see and follow the most in the movies. And they're certainly the ones that uh, play the biggest role in the novels as well. With these houses, almost every house, as you said, they hold planets. They often will have full sets of councils and economic, political, and military advisors, and they have armies, and they have their planets have economies. They really are, in a lot of ways, like the nations, you know? They're, yeah. They, they, they are these entities, right? It's not just the family. It's, it's the whole kingdom of whoever it is. And we meet dukes of these houses in the books and in the movies. So it's good to be aware of that. You know, when you, when you see that person who is the head of house Arconan or the head of house Atreides, this is really the prime minister or the president or the king of this vast organization yeah. of so many people. <laughs> so also some of the other factions we're going to talk about uh, have like vested interest in these houses. These really are the, the moving pieces in the chess game of this galaxy. Yes. I love, I love that analogy. The, these are the pieces on the chessboard, And I, I liked that you brought up the word Duke, uh, something that we'll experience a lot in the upcoming film and in the novels is the fact that the society of this Dune universe is very feudal in nature. It's right. very Middle Ages. Words like Duke, words like concubine are used. Yeah. Even though this is extremely futuristic, see our timeline episode about <laughs> the tens of thousands of years in the future we are actually in. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the terminology, at least of governance, is based in feudal society. And that that's sort of how the power structure here works as well. So if I can get in a little bit into the weeds of how the universe power structure works. Sure. Yeah. You got the emperor at the top. Right. And then, like you said, below them are the great houses and the houses minor. So these are people that are the dukes or the kings or even just the vassals right. that owe allegiance. Sort of, if you can think of a pyramid, it works its way. The allegiance structure works its way up to the emperor. And these people have a governing body. So they do have a say yeah. within the empire to some extent. Each house definitely pulls a little bit more more or less political weight than other houses. And obviously they're always fighting over who has more power. Right. This governing body is known as the Landstrad. And I imagine this is sort of like the Congress or the Parliament of the Empire. And so these houses minor and these great houses, who obviously wield more power, come together in this Landstrad alongside the Emperor and alongside another faction that we'll talk about in a little bit called the Spacing Guild. And these people govern the entire galaxy. Yeah. That's sort of a brief overview of how that power structure works. You don't, again, you don't necessarily have to know that to enjoy the movie. <laughs> right. I just kind of got really geeky about the politics of it all. And I, it was really interesting to learn who reports to who and who has more power and why someone is stabbing someone else in the back. Right. It's, it's to really maneuver within this landstrad and gain as much political power as possible. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the emperor is the head of House Carino. Correct. So when we're talking about the emperor, he's not some removed entity from that great houses. It was a great house that achieved that top of the pyramid position. Mm -hmm. So again, this is a structure that has been around for a very long time, you know, tens of thousands of years. And we enter into it following characters who will refer to these different houses and with each of these houses, there are thousands of years of history and wars fought between the houses and 
battles won and lost and votes and exactly like you said abu vying for power who controls what planets who you know has what access to what resources who's literally legally murdering one another through poison it's <laughs> wild a lot of assassins are involved <laughs> there's a, so many assassins this is just there's a term in the encyclopedia that's used over and over again which is legalized murder which love it <laughs> it's such a turn of phrase what a what a description <laughs> yeah if we if we can make an analogy here and this is extremely original of me. I like to think I came up with this by myself. Uh, you know how in Game of Thrones... Oh, I've heard of it. <laughs> there's all these different... Uh, what's the word? Houses? Whoa. Yeah. It's the same word. Do you see where I'm going? Do you see where oh my I'm going God. with this? That's, that's, is that an analogy if it's the same? <laughs> you know how there's like a king of the seven kingdoms? Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. The parallels are... We have a house structure. We have many houses. Right. You may right. align yourself with one over another, for example, right? So we talked about House Atreides versus House Harkonnen. They are bitter, bitter rivals. Yeah. I would say as bitter rivals as Leo, you and I are when we get into a into a little fight. <laughs> really? When was the last time that happened? I mean, <laughs> I'm trying like, what did we last super disagree on? I really can't wait. No, okay. There was one thing that we disagreed on, but I can't remember what it was. It was at the end of an episode and I was like, Hey, you know what? Agree to disagree. That's true. That's a, okay. Uh, I'll walk that back. You and I don't fight. We're good friends. Let's not create this rift between us. Jesus. You're going to send assassins. <laughs> it's like age old. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at here. Is that House Atreides and House Harkonnen are rivals. Yeah. And that's because they differ in their philosophies, right? House Atreides proves itself to be a house that looks after its people. And while it's not a democratic body by any means, Timothy Chalamet is the heir to the throne because he's the eldest son of the, you know, Duke. And like, it's still very feudal and very, right, right. very much follows like succession rules of, of, you know, old kingdoms. But right, right. the Atreides are generally considered good people right. and good rulers who look out for their uh, subjects and, you know, collectively try to work with their allies and punish their enemies, but are fair and brutal. You know, they're, they're the teacher that you had in third grade that <laughs> Graded really harshly, but yeah, you learned. Goddammit, own good. You learned, and I will say, I think it's sometimes too easy to like paint the picture of all Atreides are good and all Harkonnens are bad. They are different types of leaders, and I found myself very often sympathizing with the Atreides mm -hmm. means of like save the men over the money right if if there's a situation in yeah, which that's a good example your men are in danger save them because the value of a human life and good training and and a quality human is so much more than when you know equipment versus the harkonnens have a very different approach to uh, evaluating that wealth and of course again we are following the protagonist who is timothy chalamet who is the heir to house atreides and there is this thousands literally i think like ten thousand year old rivalry yeah and bad blood super toxic you know they are they are talking behind each other's backs they are gossiping they are timothy chalamet keeps trying to make fetch happen and harkonnen <laughs> harkonnens just won't have it they're like do you even go to this school and it's just yeah. it's rough it's rough. <laughs> yeah. And we're, the reason we're sort of harping on these two houses in particular is because these are our main houses. Yeah. These are the ones we're going to see in the movie. These are the ones we follow in the books. And these are our main players. So it's important to know who they are and what they stand for. I think you gave a great example of where Atreides and Harkonnen differ when it comes to the value of human life. To the Harkonnens, their subjects, their workers are just numbers on a spreadsheet right? Yeah. It's just another resource. Yeah. Maximize profits. Atreides value their people to a certain extent. Another, I think, pretty clear cut fucking example <laughs> is that the Atreides don't use slaves and the Harkonnen do. Ooh, so it's like, yeah. Hey, that's a, that's a point. Yeah. So, you know, really, really like pick your sides. All right. 
So my defending of House Harkonnen earlier, rolling that back a bit. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, forgot about that part. And GG, uh, sorry, House Harkonnen, right. you lose this battle. <laughs> and before we move on from the Great Houses, there is one other house, you kind of mentioned it briefly earlier, that we should just, you know, mention. Yeah. House Carino yeah. is currently yeah, yeah. at the start of the first Dune novel and in the at the start of the movie is the house in power. Right. This is the house that holds the imperial seat. And the emperor is from House Carino. And the emperor's heir, whoever the next male in line in House Carino, is in line to be the next emperor. So they are sort of the ruling house. Right. And these three houses, Harkonnen, Atreides, Carino, are going to be sort of, if we go back to our chess board analogy, these are going to be the three main pieces that are battling against each other in the Dune, upcoming Dune film, and for much of the Dune novels as well. So those are the three big ones to remember. Although there are many houses. Totally. There, you know, they, they can range anywhere from, I think at the lowest, there were 57, if I recall correctly. And at their peak, there were over 150 houses. So many. <laughs> and that's just great houses. There's even more just sort of minor houses everywhere. Wow. Try, trying to remember the scale of the Dune universe. We're talking about trillions of people across right. thousands of planets like this is a massive galaxy and uh 150 is not a lot of houses to wield power over an entire galaxy but right right these are our, these are our main players and of those hundred odd great houses these three are arguably the most powerful yeah. once again atreides harkonnen and carino these three are at the top of the pecking order so moving on from Houses major and houses minor. We have another thing that nary a page goes by without <laughs> yeah. something happening with these these folk. Uh, what was John? What, what was the name of the first Spacing Guild member? Yeah, Spacing Guild member John. John. Who got really, really high. Throwback. He's so high. He's, so still, high. he's tripping so high. So <laughs> the next faction we're going to be talking about is the Spacing Guild. And you know they're a big deal because... What year is it? Oh, it's after the formation of the Spacing Guild 10,000 years. Right. They literally define the year. You know who else defines years? Jesus. <laughs> I, I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy. That's how big of a deal the Spacing Guild is. Before the Spacing Guild formed, you know, when we were talking about in our last episode, you know, the discovery of ECAS, that was... 8,000 years before the Spacing Guild was formed. Yeah. So the Spacing Guild is a huge deal, and they are really the backbone of the Imperium. They hold a monopoly, yeah. the monopoly, on basically all transportation within the Empire. And again, all transportation. This is infrastructure monopolized. So moving resources, uh, militaries, people goods all of it everything this is the spacing guild tourism tourism yeah you you and your family want to go to disney world on another planet yeah better pay your guild dues motherfucker yeah or you can't get on the ship to get there like these guys hold a monopoly on everything that moves in the galaxy at least when it moves across you know systems right and to sort of turn back the clock a little bit very brief history lesson if you recall Something called the Butlerian Jihad happened. Right. People got real mad at their MacBooks and smashed <laughs> them. And computers and artificial intelligence were murdered yeah, yeah. across the galaxy and wiped out. It was genocide, but yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Mass genocide of artificial intelligence and advanced thinking machines. And now, in the modern times of the Dune universe, where the books and movie pick up, people don't trust technology. Right. But the problem is you can't travel faster than light without a computer who can do calculations. Yeah. So the guild finds a solution. The guilds realize, and it's, you know, we'll get into this in a future guild-focused episode, I'm sure, but there's all these theories about how the guild discovered spice and figured out they could use it. But suffice it to say, that's what the guild did. Right, right. They figured out spice melange, the most important resource in the galaxy, could be used back to our first guild navigator john he got really really high off of it so high so high and unlocked 
limited prescient abilities and realized he could see the future in a limited capacity. And the guild realized they could train people to fly ships at faster than light speed or fly through hyperspace. Yeah. While they were high on this spice. Yeah. So they could see exactly the path the ship had to take to get from destination A to B. Right. Without crashing into an asteroid field, without plopping out in the wrong place. Yeah, like coming out of hyperspace in the middle of the sun. Like they could use those prescient abilities to see slightly ahead into the future and predict the correct path for these ships to take. So this was the workaround. Now that computers couldn't do the calculations to travel faster than light, these guild navigators, with the help of Spice, were just doing it with prescience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, you have these people at the terminals of a spaceship and they put in coordinates and they go well we know that's kind of where we're going if we're going to hit something on the way if we're going to end up in the sun of the system (laughs) that we're trying to go to because you imagine like if i'm driving to jersey from new york jersey is in one place relative to new york right the streets don't change correct galaxies and planets move they are all orbiting constantly. So when you are calculating traveling, you have to calculate time and other orbiting bodies and all so many things change. And so while that calculation couldn't happen exactly to your point, John could get super baked on this spice and be like, you know what? (laughs) I see what you're doing there with the throttle and the steering wheel. I've seen forward a bit in time. It's going to work out. And they're like, thanks, John. Yeah. <laughs> You're the best. It's it's going to be all right. Trust me. It's going to be. All, <laughs> it's just Matthew McConaughey in like a big vat. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I will say, I loved your analogy about New York and New Jersey. I used to live in Jersey. Yeah. And coming into work into New York every day, I too Felt like I had to get just a little high to navigate that. Wow, Abu, I had no idea. Are you a, are you a Spacing Guild member, Abu? Is that what they call it these days? We should call it that from now on. Wow. Yeah. Spacing Guild members, are you kidding me? So good. So much better than potheads. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, again, like I was saying earlier, there is just so much to talk about with the Spacing Guild. Like, the encyclopedia gets into their origins. There's this extremely convoluted but incredibly interesting story on how the guild actually came together yeah and then there's this incredible story about how they pitched themselves to the empire and they were like hey guys we can we can get you from new york to new jersey yeah i promise and you know (laughs) we figured out the gps without the computer yeah and like that's super interesting Uh, their their organization itself is really interesting and what they do with their obviously they have a lot of power right like right right you control all travel in the galaxy you have a lot of power you have a lot of resources a lot of power so their organizational structure and what they're doing in certain sectors of the organization super fucking fascinating and shady right (laughs) but we'll save all of that for another episode because today we really want to focus on what their political power here is and again that just comes back to the fact that they are the stopgap between anyone traveling from one system to another. If you need to travel, you must go through the guild. You have no other choice. They have a monopoly in the strongest sense of the word. The analogy here I used in in our notes was the gist is that the guild is just a group of intergalactic truckers. Yeah. In a galaxy where no one else ever passed their driver's license exam. Yeah. Like, I can put a toddler behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler. Like, about, you know, <laughs> it, and it might work out. Like, it totally could. <laughs> and I'm a way cheaper transportation company. That's cool. But side note, last month we lost 80% of our trucks. <laughs> so good luck to us, our little Spacing Guild right. competition. <laughs> I think the last thing to bring up about the guilds before we move on is their physical appearance. Oh, yeah. It'll be really interesting yep. to see how we haven't seen it and we didn't see it in the trailer. Yeah. But it'll be really interesting to see how the new movie depicts guild navigators specifically. So specifically, we're talking about John here. Yeah. There are normal humans in the guild that just do like accounting and shit, right? There's like an accounting department. Right, right, right. But guild navigators are the people who are at the joystick flying these ships, getting high 
predicting the future and getting us safely to Disney World. And these navigators are biologically engineered and changed and developed throughout their life to become extremely attuned to the spice melange, the thing that they need to drive these ships through space. Yeah. And through this change, they're described in the books as these like fish-like people with webbed hands and feet. And like boneless flat faces. And and they're so used to the zero gravity of space that they that they float around in these tanks of gaseous melange. They're just like constantly floating in these tanks that are pulled around by other guild members. So it's yeah. it'll be interesting to see how weird <laughs> and how far this new movie takes their their physical appearance. Maybe the best move is to just do like the shadow and the gas, you know? Yeah, keep it mysterious. Because again, descriptions in the book are like big disc-like eyes and flat faces and you know, obviously in the extended lore of Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's books, there there's a lot more about the process it's just wild and if you watch the 1984 movie yeah shout out to the dude who mopped up the liquid that this big fish person leaves that was secreting just, from the fish Ugh. oh my god everywhere they bring this navigator they have to mop up after him and that's just that guy's job shout out to you man yeah low on the spacing guild totem pole for sure yeah I I think MVP. <laughs> yeah, in in my mind, I actually imagine the Gale Navigators kind of like how what's that Guillermo del Toro movie with a lady who falls in love with a fish with a fish oh, man? Uh, yeah, Shape it, of Water. Shape of Water. Yes. Yeah. I imagine yeah. the Gale Navigators look like the Shape of Water fish. That could be cool. That could be cool. Yeah. I mean, it's been done in a movie before, and people liked it, so. Um, there's the Hellboy guy, right, as well? There's the Hellboy guy as well, yeah. The fish guy from Hellboy? Yeah, yeah. So there's some good ideas out there, Danny Villeneuve. Steal them. <laughs> steal them. <laughs> <laughs> Come up with your own? No, no. Just steal it. <laughs> okay, Leo. It's time to move on to what is easily going to be the hardest part of this episode for me. Yeah, yeah. We got to talk about this little old faction known as the Benny Jesuit. Yeah. Huge political players yeah. in the galaxy. Our goal here at Gamjabar is to <laughs> equip you with... I love that you launched right into our mission statement. That, listen. That's good branding. Straight to the, straight to branding. We want to <laughs> equip you with the, the best experience if you're reading it for the first time. And if you're coming back to it, or if you're uh, huge Dune fans like we are, and you want to dive deep, let's dive deep. But in these episodes... There's so much to say, and there's so much that we cannot say, because the Bene Gesserit and learning about them and forming your own opinions about them is, I think, a big part of their mystique and, and, mm -hmm. and frankly, their power in world, because they're a very secretive group, and yet somehow, for being the most secretive group, they are on every page of the 700-page encyclopedia. They, when you look into anything in Dune, the Bene Gesserit are there in some way. Yeah. And this is the hardest part of the episode purely for the fact that I don't know what we can say. <laughs> yeah, there's we we are going to walk this fine line of not getting into spoiler territory, yeah. but still try to give you a little bit of context of who the Benny Jesuit are. But yeah. we promise, yeah. and we've said this in previous episodes, we promise a Benny Jesuit episode is coming. Yes. We are working on it. To be totally honest, I'm a little scared of it because <laughs> that's that that is such a daunting and massive episode to tackle. But yeah. Yeah. For today, we're going to skip over a lot of details of the Bene Gesserit and really just get to the broad picture of who and what they are. Yeah. Yeah. In extremely oversimplified terms, the Bene Gesserit is an all-female religious and political order that traces its roots all the way back to Terra. Yeah. So remember, in the Dune universe, Terra is the name for Earth. Wow. And Terra existed Twenty to thirty thousand years ago, so this is a yeah ancient order, and you know over the tens of thousands of years that they've been around, I mentioned their secrecy earlier. They have quietly influenced the course of humanity, and a lot of this 
steering of the ship is 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 accomplished by kind of covertly pulling strings and yeah manipulating things here and pushing here and suggesting you know whispering in someone's ear over there there's so much there's so much of, of just ruling from the shadows you know yeah and the i would say next to the great houses the Benny Gesserit will be the other faction that will get to know the most yeah. in the upcoming film. Agreed. And we'll get to know the most directly, you know? So it's important to know the role they play in this universe. What's interesting, though, is you might be wondering, okay, ancient religious political order survived for tens of thousands of years. Cool. So they must be like emperors and shit, right? Not at all. Yeah, no. You will rarely ever see a Bene Gesserit in a leadership position. Like you said, Leo, secrecy is their game. Right. They're covertly sort of pulling the strings of history and they act primarily as political advisors or negotiators or analysts. Their job is to not be the guy on the stage, right. but to be the woman directly to the right of that person. Right. Right. You know, with their hand on their shoulder, that's the role of the Benny Gesserit in, in the political climate of the empire. So they have this organizational power of, what they've accomplished over tens of thousands of years. But individually, these are tremendously capable women. They have gone through intense physical and mental training. They've achieved, you know, abilities that really border on superpowers, basically. Yeah. From yeah. something called the voice, where you just tell people to do things and they kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, with with some caveats and some asterisks, you know, some terms and conditions do apply. As always. To truth saying, which is just sussing out lying people, which yeah. I feel like I know some truth sayers in life where you try to tell them a lie and they're like, nah, I can tell you're lying. It's like, Damn. <laughs> right, right. Everyone's mom is a truth sayer. Oh, my God. Everyone's mom is a Benny Gesserit. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I need to call my mom. <laughs> She already knows what you're going to say. Oh, God. In, in addition to the voice and truth saying, though, they also have complete control over their bodies, complete control, specifically complete metabolic control. And this is kind of a mind-blowing fact. Yeah. But they could combat aging if they wanted to. Right. Just with sheer control over their bodies and this sort of metabolic yeah. process within within their systems they could slow down their aging. Like, that's how deep the control is, and that's how, frankly, super-powery their abilities are. Yeah. Uh, and then in addition to that... If that's not enough. <laughs> they also pass memories on genetically. So one Bene Gesserit mother can pass her memories to another, and through this process, Bene Gesserit can recall the memories of other Bene Gesserit women who have lived and died generations in the past. Yeah. So they, they can have sort of a complete context of their own history because they, they have this genetic memory and this ability to tap into their ancestral memories. And that alone is power, right? Yeah, like knowing yeah. who you are, where you came from, what your story is, and being able to access it on a whim is incredible. I will point out here that the Bene Gesserit is a, an organization and not all Bene Gesserit members or mem members of the, the, the sisterhood are equally trained yeah. and, and not all of them have accomplished the same degree of power again Correct. like mentats and like some of these other schools of training the Bene Gesserit they have these things within their collective power but not everybody can do everything and I just wanted to stress that there's a hierarchy yeah exactly I mean N Navigator John gets to fly the ship <laughs> but Billy gets to clean up Navigator John's bodily <laughs> fluids like it it's just there's a pecking order of course and the Benny Jesuit have the same hey, his name is Billy gotcha <laughs> my takeaway <laughs> Billy's the mop Billy the mop boy Billy the mop boy I will say, though, even at their worst, when it comes to the Bene Gesserit, right. even if they haven't mastered the voice, they didn't pass the truth-saying test, maybe they don't have utter, complete control over their metabolic processes in their body, Right. even the worst Bene Gesserit is still an extremely shrewd politician, Yeah. and they, they're trained in combat arts, of course, hand-to-hand, -hand, yeah. close combat arts, Yeah. they're deadly warriors as well. That just sort of comes with the territory of even attending the Bene Gesserit school. Yeah. So 
without these sort of superhuman, supernatural powers, Bene Gesserit are still effective and still deadly, and that is how they have survived and manipulated and directed the course of human history for tens of thousands of years. It's it's mind-boggling. Now, the Bene Gesserit, one of their one of their strengths, one of the Bene Gesserit strengths, is with their genetic memory, yeah. they have some very large-scale genetic breeding programs where they uh-huh. are, are looking at like what can you accomplish over oh years of selective breeding of humans. <laughs> and there's so much to say about that. Yeah. And there's so much we can't really say about that. And it's, uh, we also just don't have the time. So again, we we hereby promise we will be doing a Bene Gesserit episode sooner rather than later. And it's going to have a lot of that stuff, although it will be a very spoiler-heavy episode. So just be aware. And I, I will say, if you felt kind of icky when Leo <laughs> right. said the word breeding program, <laughs> that was that's the right response. <laughs> right. You you should probably feel icky. And again, we don't want to veer too much into spoiler territory, and we don't want to color your opinion of the Benny Gesserit organization. But, you know, obviously an organization with this much covert power, this many sort of superhuman abilities in their arsenal, they're up to some shit. Right. And we'll, we'll definitely dive more into that in a in a spoiler-heavy episode right. in the future. I mean, in this universe, everyone is, isn't, aren't they? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. To be clear, everyone's <laughs> up to some some shit. The great houses are are you know poisoning and killing right. each other. There's assassins left and right. The spacing guild is just extorting everyone for money and, and getting super high on drugs. <laughs> super high on drugs. Everyone in the galaxy is up to some shit. So you know, everyone's up to stuff. Now, I I, I see you made a comparison that I, I do appreciate. Yeah. Of sort of how to think about the Bene Gesserit sisterhood, um, and and I and I want to hand it off to you to kind of explain this because I, I do I agree I think this is a great way of thinking about it. So I, you know, I was like, what's a good analogy I can make for each one of these factions? Right. And the houses, obviously, the Game of Thrones analogy, the guild truckers in the galaxy analogy, <laughs> the Bene Gesserit. Then, to me at least, are basically the Jedi Order. If the Jedi weren't completely incompetent and like a hundred <laughs> times more politically savvy. Yeah. <laughs> we should just let him do that thing. Yeah. I feel some darkness in the corner, specifically in the Senate building. Like what? We should think about this and do nothing. Yeah. So, you know, the, the I've clearly put a target on my back. The Star Wars nerds are going to be <laughs> crashing into my DMs any second now. But, you know, the Bene Gesserit are easily an extremely competent <laughs> and more powerful version of the Jedi in my mind. Sort of a, a religious supernatural group with powers that, you know, the leadership of the galaxy rely on. There's a lot of a lot of analogies to make there. Also, to be clear, fun fact, a lot of Star Wars references established Dune things, right? Yeah. The, the Kessel Spice Run, the voice, the Jedi ability to tell people yeah the force yeah yeah right there's so much there when you have read dune or seen the movie go back and watch star wars and enjoy the fact that there there are a lot of kind of tips of the hat to this uh, established lore by joining us in our dune fandom you are entering into really understanding western sci-fi in, in a very big way yeah i was gonna say a lot of sci-fi whatever sci-fi you enjoy we can promise yeah. that there's probably something grounded in Dune. There's a reason Dune is so iconic and has been for so long. Sure. Uh, I will say the Star Wars versus Dune debate to me, real fucking old. Yeah. Like, I just want to put it out there. You're allowed to like both things. One is not superior to the other. Oh, totally. And there's this in, in the most toxic corners of the internet, of course, oh, where naturally. I sometimes tr fall into. <laughs> right, right, right. There's a lot of this like, ah, oh, Dune is better. Oh, wow. Star Wars is trash or... Wow, Star Wars stole so much from Dune. Yeah. Come on. You're allowed to like both. Both are incredible works of art and stand on their own. Uh, let's move on from that. <laughs> Can we establish an official Gom Jabbar stance on this? Yeah. Star Wars, Star Trek, and Dune are all incredible accomplishments with their own values and virtues, and you are allowed to love or hate all of them 
and just don't rain on other people's parades. That is a thousand percent correct. I co-sign. Let's seal this letter and ship it off to every fucking nerd on the internet. There we go. <laughs> Check your inbox. Check your inboxes. It's coming. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap up this episode. We've had a lot of fun. We've covered a lot of factions that we are most definitely going to see in the upcoming movie, and they play major roles in the novels. Right. But to wrap up today, we would be remiss if we didn't mention some minor factions that play roles within the novels and especially in books after the first Dune book in the in the subsequent novels that Frank wrote, they play larger roles. Right, right. So we may or may not see them in the film. Maybe we'll see them in sequel films if, fingers crossed, Dune becomes a franchise and we see more Dune films. But we still feel it's important to briefly mention them in case they do make some sort of appearance in the movie. Totally. And just, just because it's fun world building and... As a fan of Dune and as a listener of Gom Jabbar, you should know this. This will be on the final. Yeah, it's fun. And yeah, it'll be on the final. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. So the first is Chome. And Chome is talked about. I mean, Chome, I don't really anticipate that you're going to meet a lot of people from Chome. But th this is the combined... Oh, I did not... I did not prepare myself to read this out loud. I, yeah, I don't... Co combine... Honet Ober Advancer Mercantiles. Yeah. I think that's right. Is basically big business. I learned that CHOME is an acronym. And maybe <laughs> all caps is a, is a hint. <laughs> like maybe the fact that it was C-H-O-A-M, CHOME, yeah. in all caps. I should have known that it stood for something. I imagine like young Leo reading Dune and being... Like and screaming chome <laughs> in your mind every time you came across it. Chome! <laughs> Just every time. That's so funny. I love that idea. Yeah. So if you're like me and you just shouted chome every time, welcome to my, my corner. But that that is an acronym and you can immediately forget it because everyone just refers to them as chome. No one's like, oh yeah, the advanced mercantiles. No one refers to any part of that acronym. They are simply chome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to really boil them down, they're basically a financial regulatory body. Woo! <laughs> and that sounds super, super boring, but let me, give me two minutes and I promise to do my best to make them sound slightly more interesting. So this regulatory body, what do they do and why do they exist? Again, going back to some of these sort of real world and other fictional analogies I've been trying to make. Right, right. Leo, you know how when yeah. all of Europe at one point got together and shook hands and agreed that everyone would just use the euro as currency? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because dozens of countries using different... <laughs> different currencies and yeah. uh currency exchange rates would have just fucked everything up yeah, yeah, yeah. that is chome basically oh, okay. so when the space and guild <laughs> arrived and suddenly trade was possible across star systems and across many different planets and the galaxy sort of exploded out in expansion someone needed to be there to regulate finances right like every planet can't have its own money and every planet right. can't have its yeah. own stock market and every planet can't have its own totally independent economy in a galaxy that depends on intergalactic trade. So that's where Chome comes in. Chome came in and was like, yo, everyone, we're using the euro. Put away your stupid little pennies. Everyone just use the euro. <laughs> Stop trying to pay with coconuts or clamshells <laughs> exactly. or whatever it is you're digging up off your alien planets. Yeah. <laughs> and I I'm sure people that work in Chome are really boring. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, like, I'm sure they do shit like... I don't know, trade agreements, negotiate trade agreements and come up with financial regulations to control the markets and APRs. Yeah, a lot of, you know, <laughs> CPIs and APIs and KPIs and all of these acronyms like <laughs> none of that really matters to me as a Dune reader, but it is important to know that yeah. a regulatory financial body exists in the in the empire. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's Chome in a nutshell. Like you said earlier, I doubt we will come across Chome in the movies. Yeah. They're definitely mentioned a number of times in the books, but honestly, unless I'm forgetting, I cannot even recall ever coming across a Chome character in the books. Yeah. They're sort of just in the background. Yeah. I don't really think we meet anybody. I mean, they're talked about. 
They're mentioned in a few conversations. Yeah. I love that Euro example. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next group that we're going to talk about are the Ixians. Yes. You know, in a world of, of minimal technological development, and we keep talking about this, no more computers since the Butlerian Jihad, thinking machines, artificial intelligence, all of these things are gone. The Ixians exist as one of the sole exceptions to the rule, right? They are really some of the only uh, people in the galaxy who are still making new technology. Now, to very briefly touch on their history, there was this planet uh, Rachis and planet Comos. And they actually, these two planets, served as the epicenter of the Butlerian Jihad. So we keep talking about the Butlerian Jihad. It started on planet Rachis. And once the Jihad had passed and had sort of expanded out of that system, uh, basically the, the Silicon Valley CEOs who had all had their wrists slapped for making artificial intelligence <laughs> were punished by basically being isolated, which kind of worked out for them because they were like, well, I guess we'll just make more cool shit while no one's looking at us. Yeah. And that's kind of <laughs> what they did. But they definitely did learn a lesson with the uncontrollable artificial intelligence technologies. So by the start of Dune, Ix and Ixian technology, so the planet Ix and Ixian technology and Ixian folk, these are all synonymous with the sort of cutting edge, shiniest, highest tech stuff. Mm -hmm. And nearly to the point of being illegal, but never, never getting to that point of we can't control this. You know, they they are making the Keurig coffee machines (laughs) and the emperor's going, "Uh, you watch yourself. It seems pretty smart. And they're like, it's not smart. You have to push the button. Exactly. You have to refill the cup yourself. And the emperor goes, okay, it's not going to, it's not going to overthrow me. And they go, no, no, it's just a coffee machine. (laughs) I I should write these examples down before I use them. That that was dumb. That was an excellent off the cuff example, Leo. Don't be ashamed. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> they're they're making Keurig machines. That, that's exactly right, though. They're they're creating technology that is just legal enough for everyone to feel cool with using them and not feel guilty about uh, breaking any rules and laws that are laid down in the Great Convention, which is sort of like the Constitution of the Empire right. that says no thinking machines. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, people in the world want technology right like right. they they need yeah. technology and it provides a certain level of convenience to the average uh, citizen of the galaxy and so right so the exceeds are definitely in the background but we see their technology everywhere and it's definitely used by most of the power players in the galaxy at least the people that can afford the exceed technology and this is sort of the way for the galaxy to walk this fine line of we don't trust technology but we live in a vast, expansive empire, intergalactic empire, that definitely needs some sort of technology. You know, like we we're okay with an iPhone as long as there's no Siri on it, right? Like that sort of thing. <laughs> right. So all of this comes from X, and these guys. I, I liked your Silicon Valley analogy. Like these guys are the tech CEOs of the galaxy right. making all the gadgets. So. If the Ixians turn the sort of tech dial to, you know, 9.9 out of 10, where 10 is illegal and Mm -hmm. 9.9 is is just a little bit okay. Yeah. Generally kind of begrudgingly accepted. Yeah. The Tleilaxu, who we're going to talk about now, uh, tore that dial off the machine and then made it into a drug. And then they're like (laughs) snorting it at the bachelor party. The Tleilaxu are wild. And a big part of why they're crazy wild generally despised yeah uh people is because the butlerian jihad missed them <laughs> right didn't quite reach them because they're sort of on the edges of the known universe they kind of live way out there yeah <laughs> and uh the genocide just didn't reach their their planet yeah the irony here is that the Tleilaxu of all of the cultures <laughs> that have kind of the factions that have evolved they were really going hard into technological development and 
is some artificial intelligence and some thinking machines. And so when the Butlerian Jihad just missed them, there's a lot that they just, there's a lot of power that they had. Yeah. And of course, distance is something that breeds distrust and rumors, right? Right. And the Tleilaxu, you sort of mentioned this earlier, yeah. are kind of hated by everybody. Like everyone is just like disgusted by them and yeah. uh, looks belittles <laughs> them and looks down on them, even though, yeah. again, they're pretty significant power players in the galaxy. It's true. You know, they are one of the cultures that I remember reading, you know, not not super often, but enough that I was thinking, yeah, I should probably learn about these Tleilaxu folk. Yeah. And again, much like the Ixians, a lot of Tleilaxu technology, because these people, like you said, are not holding back. They are full on blasting ahead with experimentation and just some of the weirdest, grossest technological advancements you can come up with. To me, the Tleilaxu are... That one scientist who literally has no morals and like doesn't believe in an ethical peer review of his work, he's just here to do the freakishly weird experiment just because he can <laughs> and he wants to find out yeah. how to do it. And that's like an oversimplified version of the Tleilaxu. Like yeah. they are creating technology that is so weird, but weirdly crucial yeah. to the rest of the universe that they gain a modicum of political power and sway. It's weird. They're outsiders that have sort of forced their way in because of the thing, the weird batshit crazy things they're doing. Yeah. It's, you know, they, they provide a very few, but a very, some very important services. And we mentioned actually already a couple of things that the Tleilaxu have contributed to the galactic stage, which one of the things is face dancers. Yeah. We talked about, when technology and technological development kind of ebbed away, humanity changed to biological development and kind of evolving the human capabilities and what can the human mind do, right? The Bene Gesserit learning how to slow their own aging, the Mentats being able to calculate incredible calculations, literally predicting the future with math, the Spacing Guild members like john getting so high he can see the future john 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 mvp <laughs> john the tleilaxu face dancers we talked about them briefly were really good at first they were just like fun entertainment from faraway tleilax but they eventually became really adept assassins because what their ability is is perfect mimicry they would actually control and contort the muscles in their face to look like different people and this is bred and this is genetically affected so that they are still human but they are basically shapeshifters yeah i was gonna say this is thanks to like weird genetic and biological experimentation not because they right looked in a mirror and practiced how to make faces for a really long time right. like <laughs> right th this is because of the weird things that the tleilaxu are doing and they end up creating shapeshifters people that can change the way they act and sound and look just by controlling the physical shape of their body. So that is, that's just a taste of what the Tleilaxu are doing way out there in the uh, far reaches of the galaxy. They're doing weird shit with genetics and right. it, it's morally questionable yeah. and definitely probably illegal things that they're doing. <laughs> but the, the rest of the galaxy sort of turns a blind eye because some of it ends up being useful. Yeah. Basically, they are distrusted. They are disliked. And when you read about them or when you see them in the movie, you will also distrust <laughs> them and you will also dislike them. <laughs> you will also hate them. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like we mentioned, Chome, the Ixians, Tleilaxu, these last three sort of smaller factions, yeah. probably won't show up in at least this upcoming film. Maybe could show up in sequels. They don't play as large a part as the other factions we talked about earlier in the episode in the novels, but right. they are present yeah. in the novels as well. So you'll come across them. So good to know about them. Not crucial to really know the ins and outs. Of course, you know, Leo, knowing you and me, we will uh, probably spend over an hour talking about just Chome yeah. doing an episode about <laughs> each and every one of these people because we're just so fascinated by them. But We'll come up with 19 different names for different boring bureaucrats who <laughs> negotiate yeah. trade and... yeah. Just wait until I explain the entire accounting department of Chome. Oh, my God. Get ready. I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. 
All right. So let's, let's wrap up and put a lid on today's episode with just a final question. We like to usually end our episodes with a little, little question for the two of us. Sure. Which faction, Leo, do you think holds the most power? And just to clarify and be a little bit more specific, let's say that we are right at the start of the movie, right at the start of the first novel, right before its first pages. So in a non-spoiler way, who do you think holds the most power at that point in time? Okay, I think that, and and, and again, without getting into spoilers, I've got to say, as of the beginning of Dune, the most powerful faction, in my opinion, is the Bene Gesserit. Again, I don't even know how far their influence extends, and that's sort of the point. Mm -hmm. But we do know for a fact that the Emperor never goes anywhere without his Benny Gesserit Reverend Mother Council. One of the main characters in the book is of the Benny Gesserit Sisterhood. You know, their roots as an organization are deeper than any other faction by a huge margin, by tens of thousands of years. <laughs> and literally no one knows how deep their plans or records extend. And there's just so much power there. And I'm not convinced that any other system that exists today in Dune, I'm not convinced that it's not directly due to the actions and the decisions of the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I My initial instincts to this question was also to answer Bene Gesserit. Yeah. But then I saw you wrote down your answer. So I was like, <laughs> all right, I got to... I got there first. <laughs> shit, I can't, co- I can't copy his homework, damn it. So... I went with, although I do agree, actually, the Benny Gesserit, I think, are so incredibly powerful. <laughs> Just to have a different answer than yours, Leo, I went ahead and said that the Spacing Guild at this point oh, in time yeah. hold a lot of power, yeah. right? We've mentioned their incredible monopoly on all transportation in the galaxy. But I think it's, you say that out loud and it almost doesn't make sense, right? Because right. right. we live on a planet where anyone can pretty much go anywhere and we have buses and trains and cars and transportation for the most part is just like a thing that humans can do at will whenever they want on planet earth. But in the galaxy, you might live and die just on the one planet your entire life right? until the spacing guild arrives and suddenly the world opens up and this changes the face of the galaxy. Suddenly things like intergalactic trade, intergalactic politics, intergalactic enter literally anything else here (laughs) right is possible but it all has to go through one group that's crazy yeah that is the very definition of a monopoly if everything you ordered in for the rest of your life had to go through jeff bezos and amazon (laughs) which i guess it's kind of already does if that (laughs) is wild and imagine that on a again intergalactic scale with thousands of planets with trillions of people i cannot imagine how busy the accounting department in the space and guild <laughs> is trying to manage all of that money yeah and manage i'm sure all of those like fees and taxes and you know payouts and trade deals and whatever that they're they have to deal with with so many planets so i would say the spacing guild at this point peak of their power and no one's going to fuck with them because what person is going to slash the tires on the only bus that can get them around. Right, yeah. No one in the galaxy is going to plunge (laughs) the entire galaxy into a dark age where transportation and communication is totally cut off because you went ahead and fucked with the Spacing Guild. Right. So that, you know, they have this sort of level of protection. Yeah. And their monopoly makes them extremely crucial. And everyone, even to the very top of that pyramid... The Emperor plays by the guild rules. Yeah. Crazy. So my vote goes to the Spacing Guild for the most powerful faction at this time. You even point out here, their one weakness is their sort of dependence on spice. Yeah. And yeah, John would be super bummed if we took away his weed. But <laughs> I then we don't know if we're going to end up in a star or not. Exactly. So, you know what, John... Blaze on, friend. Blaze on, brother. (laughs) Blaze on, Spacing Guild member John. (laughs) 
Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.